Welcome to the Conscious Fire Culture. We give you direct access to healers, practitioners, and shamans as we explore alternative medicine for wildland firefighters. The mission is to break the stigma of mental health in wildland fire and lower the suicide rates. Our intention is to guide you through a transformation that creates a ripple effect in our community. Welcome, I'm so excited you've made it. All right, check this out. Mountain Mind Tricks and the Wildland Wellness Foundation are coming together for this amazing collaboration. This is going to be the most powerful thing to come to the Wildland Fire community in a long time, I think. And that is, you know, master plant ceremonies mixed with holistic medicine, with acupuncture, chiropractors, so the breakthrough session, all these things coming into one to support you, the wildland firefighter, to help you regain your mental health, your physical health, and get back to peak performance as soon as possible. Because when we work with master plants and essential oils and acupuncture and chiropractic and mental emotional release, when we put all these together, it is a powerful transformational experience that really it's it's beyond words because once you're touched by the divine once you're in touch with that healing energy of the universe with that innate power for you to heal yourself there's no stopping it it's like a runaway train it's like you're gonna start healing you're gonna have a transformation that has this ripple effect that goes beyond just you and your family but to your crew to your fire station to your you know your workstation to your forest to your region to the community and really what we want to do is is give you the most amazing ceremonial experience and back that up with the integration how do you take those experiences and come back to 3d reality and implement them implement those lessons those realizations that are so deep and profound that your entire life changes how do you integrate those you know one of my great mentors once told me it's like you get a puzzle and all the pieces are all spread out but then you get to start putting that puzzle back together into a new way a new possibility a new way of being and that's that's what the foundation is working on you know the first retreat is the end of january of 2022 and if that's interesting to you i want you to go to the wildlandwellnessfoundation.com check that out and just schedule a call with melissa and See if it's a good fit. Again, that's wildlandwellnessfoundation.com. The foundation of Mountain Mind Tricks is the breakthrough sessions for wildland firefighters. And it's one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my entire life is to guide somebody through an awakening experience, remembering that they have the power to heal and giving them the tools to release the anger, sadness, fear, hurt, and guilt from their past, and to truly release it, to let it go. And when I see these transformations in my clients, it's like night and day. There's before the breakthrough session, and then there's after. And there's just so many times that their transformation touches me that I, I cry. Like it, it's so powerful and joyful to see that transformation inside them. And and there's there's so many modalities out there there is acupuncture and traditional therapy and plant medicine and but I love the breakthrough session I think it's an amazing adjunct to all these other things or even western medicine and the breakthrough session is so important to me because it's what changed my life 
It's what allowed me to completely let go of my anxiety and to move forward and to become the healer that I am today, to start my own company, Mountain Mind Tricks. Like that's, that's because of the breakthrough session. Without that, there wouldn't be any of this. And so if you're interested in a breakthrough session to really overcome the blocks in your life, to let it all go, to really step into your light and be who you know you could be, if you want that to happen for you, just go to mountainmindtricks.com, go ahead and click that button, alternative mental health, scroll through there if it looks like something you want. Let's, let's schedule a discovery session. Let's just chat about it. Let's have a talk to make sure it's a good fit. So again, go to mountainmindtricks.com and click the alternative mental health button. Welcome everybody to the show. I'm super excited to have Becky Livingston with us and Ann Martin as well, joining us as co-host. And Becky is a retired Forest Service fire ops, wildland firefighter, and her story is so powerful. And I'm so excited to have her here on the show. And um, Becky, could you introduce yourself and kind of like let us know, I guess, what your career was and how you got into the healing work that you're doing now and and how, you know, where does this intersect with the Forest Service and wildland firefighting and, and all these things? Sure. And thanks so much, Thomas, for having me on and, you know, like most wildland fire folks, uh, my story's complex, but I actually got into wildland firefighting in 1979 on the Smoky Bear Ranger District with the Young Adult Conservation Corps on a wildland fire hand crew. And that started my career. And through that, through the years, I was a seasonal for 10 years doing a, a variety of different jobs. Um, and in the wintertime when I was laid off, I'm also a personal fitness trainer, wellness specialist, and integrative health coach. So I would do that in the wintertime. And also I was an elite athlete. So I did a lot of competing in track and field, running and bodybuilding. And I finally, in 1990, um, got my first appointment in California, but it was after a season, 1988, of the famous Yellowstone fires, where I was one of the first two women hired on the Smoky Bear Hotshot crew, which had always been a dream. And that was a tough year. And so that was 1988. And then in 1990, getting my first appointment in California as an assistant fire engine operator. And the interesting thing about that is, um, and this is all part of this story, is while on the job only six weeks, I became pregnant with my daughter. And at the time, being pregnant and being a wildland firefighter wasn't really conducive. So after having the birth of my daughter, I resigned. That was the second time I had resigned. The first time being after my hotshot year in 1988, being on the Yellowstone fires, uh, my crew actually got trapped on one of the fires in North Yellowstone. Um, I had been very sick and they had medevaced me off the fire. But that was the first time I resigned starting this healing journey because I realized at that point that, at least in my viewpoint, that we were intentionally putting wildland firefighters in harm's way to satisfy a political agenda. That's what happened to our hotshot crew. 
So again, fast forward to 1990, I've had the birth of my daughter and I resigned so I could spend time with my daughter. My husband and I, who we met in 1988, he was a helicopter pilot and owned his own company. And me being a Smoky Bear hotshot met actually on a fire in Colorado. So when I resigned in 1990, I went to work with him and we operated our own helicopter business. But the great thing is that it gave me an opportunity to step back from wildland fire. And I focused primarily on doing my personal training, but I also had developed a program called Fireline Fitness. And so I really started ramping up that program. I started working with other structural fire departments and other first responders using my program, realizing there was such a desperate need for fitness and wellness. We moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico in 1995, where I got a phone call from an old hotshot soup, really encouraging me to come back to the agency. So I came back in 1995. And the primary reason, Thomas, is I felt that I could really make a difference with the knowledge I had and the skills as a healer. So came back and over the course from 1995 to 2018, I got on the leadership track, was a district um, assistant fire management officer here outside of Albuquerque. Then I was a operations specialist for the Fire Use Training Academy, and then The last 10 years of my time with the Forest Service was spent in the regional office here in the southwestern region as the regional fire operations health and safety specialist. So really, my responsibility then was the health, safety, and fitness of all wildland firefighters in this huge region. And it was great because it gave me an opportunity again, to really focus on fitness and wellness, which was actually my passion. During this time, um, I was burning the candle at both ends, which a lot of firefighters can attest to. I was now a mother of two children and two stepchildren, working in a leadership role. I was a professor at a community college teaching my Fireline Fitness program, an elite athlete. I started a program in 2012 called the Women in Wildland Fire Boot Camp, and the whole purpose behind that was to help women get into the field and men as well, but make sure they knew exactly what they were getting into and really with a focus on fitness and wellness. And then things changed. Um, In 2012, my focus kind of changed. And I asked my fire director if I could start doing something different. And then, of course, go into 2013, which changed my trajectory completely. June 30th of 2013, the Yarnell Hill fire and the loss of the granite mountain hotshots was on my watch. I got one of the first calls from my fire director that there was a crew missing 
and about 10 minutes later, the call from him that they were all found deceased. That started what I call the unwinding of my trauma and my complex post-traumatic stress. At the same time, my brother-in-law was dying of cancer, and we lost him in August of 2013. And I can remember going into my fire director and deputy assistant director a few months later and just said, you know, I don't think I can ethically and morally do this job anymore, the fire ops job. I want to do something more focused on helping people heal, helping them deal with the stress and trauma. And so at the time, I had one of my best friends. Her name is Michelle from Region 5, who also had dealt with her own wildland fire traumas, primarily South Canyon. And she and I got together, and luckily, due to the support of a couple of great people, they put us in a program called Comprehensive uh, Resiliency, and they sent us to get some additional training. And even though Michelle and I remained in our jobs, we started a program called Comprehensive Wellbeing and Resiliency. And we were teaching that. We were rocking and rolling all over the country. They used to call her and I Red Bull and Bulldog (laughs) because of our energy. And we were teaching this all over the country, going gangbusters. We were teaching people how to deal with stress. And we were teaching people what post-traumatic stress was, how to stay healthy, how to stay well. You know, we were incorporating modules tied into the Fireline Fitness of, you know, how to take care of yourself pre-season, how to take care of yourself during the fire season, and what to do post-season. And so in 2015, things started unwinding more. Um, I have a beautiful daughter that's now 31, but at the time she was 25, recently married, working on her master's degree, and she um, developed cancer. She had cancer. So between her cancer and her unwinding and a divorce from her husband and a few other traumas. In August of 2015, the Washington office had decided to create two positions for Michelle and I to do this comprehensive well-being program full-time. That was our full-time job. And they put Michelle in the job. They lateraled her into the job, but I had to apply. You know, you cross the T's and dot the I's. And then on August, I got the call one day. It was the last piece to just do the interview to get me into the position. And I got the call telling me I had not been selected for a position that had been written specifically for me. And I share that because I think that was the final drop in the bucket. That was the final Jenga block that got pulled out of my Jenga blocks. And the Jenga blocks came tumbling down. And so in January of 2016, Thomas, I ended up just completely falling apart. Some people call it a breakdown, and I don't. I call it a breakthrough. I see it now as a gift. But I could no longer function. I could no longer sustain 
the pace I had been doing actually my whole life. I was 57 at this point. So I was forced onto my own healing path, um, was not able to work function for six months at all because of the trauma and the stress. We now call post-traumatic stress and complex post-traumatic stress. Actually, it's a injury to the nervous system. My body was a complete mess. And I finally was able to come back to work, limping to work, meaning I could only work a couple of hours, a couple of days a week. Thanks much to many of the wildland folks that supported me and donated leave. I was able to get through to August of 2018 and was forced to retire because I could not function in that job of the stress. And so I retired in August of 2018 and have spent since that time and before on my healing journey using a variety of modalities. And I will tell you what, I have tried everything. You know, I've had friends of mine say, oh my God, Becky, you have to do this. If you don't do this, you're not going to heal. So I've tried everything out there known for post-traumatic stress. And, you know, what I found is a couple of different modalities that have really helped me start to heal. It's a lengthy process. And of course, being a healer before, I used some of the knowledge I had from that. But one of the things that probably helped me the most was trauma-sensitive yoga. And the reason being my trauma and grief, and I'll come back to that in a minute, was so jammed up in my body. Our bodies hold our trauma and grief when they're not processed especially when you're in a first responder job where you don't have a a chance to unwind and de-stress and process all that trauma and grief. And I was now forced to do it, but it was held in my body and had been held there so long because part of my journey was I had to go back into my childhood recognizing that so much of what I was dealing with was unprocessed trauma and unprocessed grief from my childhood. I mean, all the way back to me being in utero, to be honest. I had had so many things happen to me as a child and never, never had the opportunity to grieve them. I lost my mother when I was 21 to an overdose. And I lost a brother who took his life. And I had never processed that because... As we do, I pulled on my fire boots and I was tough and I just marched right through it and thought, you know, I had gotten through it and I hadn't. So I had to literally go back and start picking up all those pieces and those fragments of my life, of my childhood, of my past grief and of my wild land fire trauma that I had dealt with on so many occasions and even the grief of getting so many phone calls um, like Yarnell Hill. So fast forward to the trauma-sensitive yoga. What I've learned is that's kind of become my salve, that's become my medicine because what it's helped me do 
is really get into my body and somatically start to release and process that trauma. So that's been really part of my magical healing is the somatic, the body piece. And of course, there's so many other parts to this. But then to kind of tie this together and wrap it up, you know, what's beautiful is forcing me on this journey has been a gift. Even though I'm still in it, I'm still dealing with so much stuff and I'm healing. I see it now as a gift. And as a healer, what's amazing is my capacity to heal and the way I teach and I work and I coach has changed 180 degrees. You know, before I was coaching and teaching and talking to people and doing workshops from my intellectual brain, from the knowledge I knew in my brain, now it comes from my heart. I know what it feels like to be a sobbing, crying, shaking mess on the floor. I know what it feels when you just can't even get through your day. I know what it feels when you just don't want to wake up the next morning. I know what post-traumatic stress and complex post-traumatic stress feels like. And there is a difference between PTS and complex PTS, by the way. So what I've found is now I'm wanting to slowly start giving back, paying it forward, helping other people, especially first responders. And of course, I have a very soft spot soft spot in my heart for wildland firefighters and for children that have dealt with grief and trauma. And so I'm slowly starting to move forward. I'm teaching trauma-sensitive classes now. I've developed kind of a hybrid class called Stretch Out Stress that includes several different modalities that have helped me including yoga, um, meditation, wisdom, healing, qigong, to name a few. I've been teaching a few workshops, which really excites me because my love is teaching others. And I'm writing a book. Um, It's called Finding Calm in Chaos. And part of my workshops are excerpts from that book. So... And I think I'll wrap it up by saying, you know, and I've, I'm married and I've got four beautiful kids and all four of them are first responders. So go figure. Wow. Thank you, Becky, so much for your story and going in such depth. And, and I think, you know, there's a couple of things I want to talk about in, in your story. And I think we could, we could really go really deep in, into your story. But for me, one of the things that you mentioned that that I, I kind of want to ask you first is, is this intentionally putting wildland firefighters in harm's way, like because of a political reason? And that's something when you said that, it's like, oh yeah, I've seen that before in my career. I've seen that a lot of times, or maybe it's not necessarily always harm's way, but it's just like the the task or the actual operation doesn't even make sense. And it's just, we're doing it because of something political. And and I just want to get your take on this of like, how is this still happening today? Is this, um, how common is this, do you think? Boy, and that is, that's, you know, that's a, a tough subject to really grapple. And I would say, you know, based on my personal experience, which happened several times in the early 80s and, or, well, through the 80s, 
And that experience on Yellowstone was profound for me because, um, you know, we were, we, my superintendent on the hotshot crew knew we were going into a very dangerous situation that they should never, ever, ever have put us on. And when my crew was trapped for three days in the safety zone and I was back in fire camp and I heard the personnel, the IC and other personnel talking to the media and the public saying, hey, we've, we're saving your town. We have firefighters up there right as we speak. It, it was a gut punch. It made me so sick that I literally left. I hitched a ride to Billings, Montana just to get the heck out of Dodge because it made me so sick. Um, and so fast forward, you know, having an opportunity to have worked in the regional office and be on several national teams, health and safety teams and committees, you know, I would say it still happens. I don't see how it can't because of these major catastrophic fires that are burning in the wildland urban interface and I think that it's still happening. What I see, though, Thomas, is I think people are starting to speak up. You know, back in my day, back in the 80s, you did not dare speak up because if you did, they would basically send you home. And I see so many people now, firefighters, people in leadership positions that are speaking up and saying, no, we're not going to do that. And I would share, too, that, you know, even my son, who was my youngest son, was in wildland fire for six years, and he quit. He quit three years ago because he saw this happening. And in his words, he didn't feel like they were taking care of people. And one thing I used to always say, Thomas, was kind of my tagline, is when I was in the agency, I used to say, our firefighters are our most precious and valuable resource. So again, I see it still happening, but it gives me hope that people are starting to finally get it and speak up. And there are people that are listening, but then there are others who are not listening. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to turn it over to Anne. If, uh, if you have a question for, for Becky, go ahead. Becky, I just wanted to say how much I really appreciate your perspective um, on a lot of these different issues that we have in fire that have um, continued to kind of show up, but like you said, that are just starting to kind of create change in the past few years, which is uh, very encouraging. But the question I have for you is I really appreciate so many different things that were in your story, and I'm wondering how you allowed and utilized um, fire in your career to really shape your healing. Oh, thank you so much, Anne. And that, boy, what a loaded question. And that's great. Um, you know, I would say there's probably a couple of different things. And I mean, this started from 1979, how I was hired. You know, I would say it started then because one of the things that's really important to know, and you can't see me, but I'm pretty petite. I'm four foot 10. And in my day, you know, I was four foot 10 and about 95 pounds. So for me, being a petite woman, I always had to work a lot harder. And it was no big deal because I loved the job. 
But the reason I say that it's with great passion, because um, one of the things I learned throughout my career is just how damn hard you have to work in the job, how tough it is physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. And even on into the years that I got into leadership, that's part of the reason I started that Women in Wildland Fire boot camp is I wanted to make sure that people knew what to expect in the job. So that's a lot of what I learned is that, you know, when you sign up, they don't really tell you what you're getting in for. And I see that happening, and I'm going to use a quick comparison. My husband is a Vietnam veteran. And, you know, he's an amazing man. He's a Vietnam veteran. He served his country. What I have found, and this is an amazing correlation, is that the incidence of post-traumatic stress with a lot of his comrades, and I see a lot of that with our wildland fire folks, and it's because I think people just aren't told what the job entails. They're not prepared. And so fast forwarding to your question, I think for my healing personally, I learned I have to be honest. I have to speak my truth. I have to ask for what I need. I have to set boundaries. And I think that shaped a lot of my healing is just knowing we have to talk about this stuff. We cannot shove it under the carpet, hide it in the closet, can't always strap on our fire boots and walk through it. You know, we got to take time to talk about it, to be able to be honest and have these dialogues and know that it is okay not to be okay. Did that answer it? I think that was the perfect answer to that question. It really is inspiring on how you just take these ideas of we don't necessarily have to come from a place of being a like what we would call a wounded healer, somebody that has gone through trauma or injury or experiences that have really been detrimental. But you can develop healing at any different point in life. And unfortunately, a lot of us will come from that place of kind of detriment into healing, but you can do it at any time. You can do it right now. And I really appreciate your perspective on just being able to utilize things like boundaries and basic needs that are really true to yourself and understanding what those are and bringing them forward. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting learning curve for sure. Yeah, Becky, such an amazing, like, there's just so much here to talk about, but I kind of want to go back to something that, that you spoke about. And that was when, you know, and, and maybe this is kind of hard, but I, I really hope we're open for this is like the, when you didn't get selected for that position that was written for you, I think I have seen that so many times in my career where people are, you know, there's that carrot hung in front of them, like there's this position or we're going to give you this detail or this is going to happen. And then something behind the scenes just makes it not happen. And, and I just want to get your perspective on this because I think this is like an agency wide epidemic of people really feeling like somebody's out to get them or like something there's like, there's just so much drama and conflict with filling positions. And, and I know the hiring process is just nowadays, it is just a total nightmare, but I want to get your, your, like your idea on, on this idea. 
Whoa. Again, boy, what a loaded question. And, you know, one thing I'll say is there's no doubt I still have a lot of anger that I'm starting to process. But so what I say, it's not judging. It's just my perspective because this does need to be talked about. And this is probably about the fourth time something similar had happened in my career. Um, And this time in particular, though, was devastating because these two positions had been written specifically for us. And for somebody, you know, and I mean, I was told you got it. We've just got to finish the last piece, Becky, you know, that um, and I was already in a temporary promotion in that position. So to get the call thinking, you know, okay, this is the last piece to be told you didn't get it. What was worse is when I inquired, they they refused to tell me why. I ended up filing a FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, and that was August of 2015. And they have timelines and it, 60 days had gone by and I heard nothing. And we inquired and they had lost my FOIA. We resubmitted it. 90 days later, they still couldn't find it. Six months later, I got a packet in the mail and it had this whole report and almost everything was redacted. I tore it up and I threw it in the trash because I realized at that moment, it didn't matter anymore. But I will say what was heart-wrenching after that is that we found out later that that was an intentional move to, I don't want to say destroy, but to break that program. So the program ended up slowly fizzling out all the hard work we had done slowly fizzled out. And that was the hardest part is it was intentional. It was almost like they were intentionally trying to break up this super team of Red Bull and Bulldog because we were visionaries. We were doing things that the agency didn't necessarily support because we spoke our truth. We said it the way it was. So I would say, yeah, I still see it happening. I have people, I had somebody call me probably two months ago that had had something recently happen to them, another female. So um, it breaks my heart, but I would say again, I think by speaking our truth, speaking up, shining a light on it, letting people know this crap is happening, fighting back. And I see a lot of people starting to really fight back now, fight the system by filing EEOs or whatever the case may be to really bring awareness and not just let it slide. I want to guide you through natural wellness and holistic medicine, which means using products like essential oils, essential vibes, glutathione, mouthwashes, or even reading books. There's so many products out there that can help us, supplements, essential oils. There's so many things about the doTERRA lines of essential oils that I use every day, like lemon to detox my body and help me hydrate, like on guard to give me that extra edge in my immune system. 
with the pandemic going, a balance to keep me grounded and moving forward in my life. I use the oils every single day, morning, afternoon, night. One of the biggest things they help me with is sleep. I sleep so well because I'm, you know, I'll lay on the lavender, I'll lay on the balance, I'll feel so grounded and sleepy and it's lights out. And I know the wildland fire community just struggles so much with sleep, really the lack of it, right? On top of that, there's books. There's, I've written three major books for the wildland fire community and, and I want you to try them out, give them a read, get the ebook, get the paperback, whatever suits you. But there's Overcome Anxiety Like a Hero, really teaches you how to get into a flow state. Awakened by Heart Fire is really the spiritual aspects of wildland fire. And the Heart Fire Anthology, the guided meditations, the Heart Fire Method will completely change your life. And of course, Six Minutes for Excellence. That is a guidebook for wildland firefighter excellence, peak performance, mindset, all those things. So go to mountainmindtricks.com, check out the store, check out essential oils, essential vibes, uh, go to the publishing tab, check out the books. Natural wellness is all about taking one step today that makes us 1% better. 1% better today, 1% better tomorrow, and 1% better the next day and the next day. One little habit adds up to moving an entire mountain with our health. That's what I want to guide you through. The essential oils, essential vibes, books, supplements, whatever you need, I'm here for you. So just go ahead and go to mountainmindtricks.com and click on the shop and go to essential oils, essential vibes, or go to the publishing tab and, and check out the books we've got. Yeah, and I, and I think for, just to kind of resonate with you, I guess there is, you know, back in my career, I guess 2015 or so, there was um, uh, one of my mentors, really, he would always say, like, I just want to take care of my people. And, and I would hear him across the hall arguing with the AFMO in the office, like, I just want to take care of my people. And I remember this one time, like the, the AFMO stood up and was basically yelling, like, I don't want to hear that you want to take care of people ever again. Like, I'm tired of that, you know. And it was like this total bullying situation that was going on. And, and I remember like that whole season, like that's when it really hit me of like, like, should we, should we like tell the seasonals what's happening? Like, should we tell them that there is no workman's comp? Should we tell them that, you know, there is a mental health crisis? Should we tell them that really the agency is not going to support you like in any possible way? And, and that like, that was the beginning of my conflict with, with the agency was like, I, I just felt so conflicted of like, there's like human rights being violated here. Like there's some really big things happening. And, and I just wanted to, I guess, resonate with you that, that there's just so many things that intentionally happen like that behind the scenes. And, and, um, you know, what forced me to retire basically or resign was was uh, harassment and bullying on a crew that was so outrageous and so blatant i mean people were developing ptsd from their supervisor like for real though and that I, just not being dealt with nothing happening you know it was so over the top that i said you know what this is i'm ready to move on anyway but it was like i just really resonate with your story thanks thomas and you know my heart goes out to you too but I'm just going to say one small piece that came up too. You know, I can remember before I resigned and before we were doing our comprehensive well-being job when I went to my director. At the time, I had a supervisor that it was just not a good fit. And 
there were so many times that that supervisor harassed me or shamed me. And I would go to my leadership in tears saying, I cannot work for this person anymore. And they would start to tell me, oh, you're just way too sensitive. Um, And there were a couple of other pretty egregious things that happened. So I hear you, Thomas, and good for you for taking care of yourself and doing what you needed to do. More people need to do that. Oh, thank you so much. And and I guess I kind of want to shift a little bit to to some of the stuff you're doing now with the trauma yoga. And and I guess my first question is I would love to hear your your insight on the difference between like um, you know, you call it post-traumatic stress and complex post-traumatic stress. And I would love to just kind of hear like what is that difference? Like what for some of the listeners, like what are some of the signs that are happening if it's complex or just post-traumatic stress? Um, and they're, they're both an issue. I mean, they're both very important to work with, but uh, I would just love to hear what your thoughts are. And that's, thanks for asking, because it took me a long time to realize. And, you know, first I'm going to start with saying we really need to start changing the language of calling it a disorder. They no longer refer to it. It is not a disorder. Mm-hmm. We're now calling it post-traumatic stress injury because it's truly an injury to our nervous system. And with post-traumatic stress, basically that occurs after usually a one-time very horrific event that causes shock and trauma. So for example, a burnover. Um, would be a great example. You have a crew that's involved in a burnover and entrapment, and that could very well end up causing post-traumatic stress. Where it differs, complex post-traumatic stress is usually ongoing. It's relational in manner, meaning it deals with people So a person that works, for example, for an FMO, like you mentioned, that is constantly shamed and, you know, betrayed and rejected and abandoned over time, over time, over time, that then becomes very complex because it happens continually over time, keeping that nervous system continually under a stress response. The other huge piece for me that helped is that complex post-traumatic stress most often is from childhood trauma. And there's this great program and questionnaire called the ACE, A-C-E study that was done in California. And they have um, a questionnaire, but it's called the Adverse Childhood Experiences. And I'll tell you what, Thomas, for me, if we gave every firefighter one of the ACE questionnaires, what that does is early childhood trauma and neglect and um, grief sets us up for post-traumatic stress later in life, if not dealt with. So that's really the difference is the complex is ongoing, relational, And you hear a lot about like Stockholm Syndrome, people that have been kidnapped, that causes complex post-traumatic stress because it's occurring continually on a daily basis over a period of time. Both affect 
the brain and the body very differently. They both have very similar symptoms, yet very different, and both require specific um, healing modalities. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. It's such a good definition, I think, for for the listeners. And 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 I, it's so interesting where something I've come to realization is I, I feel like there's this, when we're a wildland fire or a first responder, whatever it is, and we have the childhood trauma, there's, we're just adding pressure to those buried layers and adding pressure in every fire assignment, every kind of little tiny trauma, because even being away from our families, even being, um, you know, detached from our home for two weeks over and over and over again, like just that alone is, is to me, it's actually a trauma. And so we're putting that little bits of trauma on top of these buried layers. And I think, I think the, what I've noticed, especially in my practice is that people that are in wild and fire with childhood trauma, it just gets heavier and heavier. And it's, it's a lot harder for those folks to deal with the job because of the stress. And, and, and that's just, that's just my, my uh, thought on all that. And I just really appreciate that. And, and I want to turn it over to Anne to see if she had a question for you. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, in some of the training that I have done, my understanding um, of kind of the complex and the regular post-traumatic stress was something called a little T and a big T trauma. So the big T trauma of my understanding is something like a burnover or some really big event that happens that causes a lot of stress after the event that can still affect you into the future. A little T trauma is something that continues to happen over time. And like you said, it's very relational, uh, but also has effects just it's negative emotions. It's really negative experiences that continue to wear and wear and wear at the body. And something I want to mention here is that the fact that this isn't like a death sentence. If you have stress that keeps coming up, especially something that's like complex post-traumatic stress, things that keep coming up for you that you believe are detrimental and things that you are preventing you from completing your goals or living a happy and healthy lifestyle, that you don't have to sit in these forever. Um, and Thomas and I are both very well-versed in a lot of the similar modalities as far as our um, treatment plants go. And Becky, you have a little bit different experience than we do, but I'd love to hear kind of like how you utilize and how you've had it personally, staying resilient through all these crazy things that life can throw at you and really coming back to not sitting in that, like being in the definition of, yes, I have post-traumatic stress and that's mm -hmm. who I am. Wow, beautiful, beautiful for your comment and your question, Anne. And, and you know, thank you too to the work you're doing to help others. And I'm going to go back to the big T and little T. When I first started my journey, I was told the same thing. But that I know that viewpoint is changing a little bit. And what I learned is that you know, trauma is trauma, and. Um, for a lot of people, it doesn't matter if it's a big T or a little T, trauma is trauma. And that's been really helpful for me to recognize that. I think the other thing that's been so important for me is that, and you both know this, everybody's healing journey from trauma is unique to them and very different. In the first couple of years, I shared, you know, I had therapists, I had other people telling me, if you, Becky, if you don't do EMDR, you're never going to heal. 
Well, let me tell you something. EMDR for me was devastating. It opened Pandora's box wide open. Um, And so what's been fascinating for me is two things. Number one is being true to me and really listening to my body, learning to listen to those somatic, you know, voices, those somatic experiences and what I need, not what everybody tells me I need. And it comes from a very intentional place, well-meaning, but I've had to really learn what is going to help me. And it may be entirely different from somebody else. So I think that's really important is understanding that trauma is trauma. You know, I've been in support groups where people would be comparing, you know, well, this, what happened to me? And to me, it doesn't matter. Trauma is trauma and is going to affect all of us. And again, going fast forward to what has helped me the most, I'm going to use childhood and complex post-traumatic stress because picking up the pieces of my childhood, I learned what I needed. And that's what made me a great fire person is because I was tough. I had to prove myself, you know, I had to be accepted. I was looking for outside validation. One of the other keys for me, to be very honest, and this is a great point for the listeners, is finding a trauma-informed practitioner. And I know you both are. And I've been really lucky. It's taken me six years and 11 therapists, but the therapist I have now, the trauma-informed therapist, is a jewel. And the reason is because she's been through it herself. She knows what it feels like. She knows the experience and she can validate. She can normalize and give me empathy. And so I hope that answered it. But that those are like the keys to me is just making sure people know this is their journey. It's not anybody else's and they've got to find what's going to work best for them. Oh, that's beautiful, Becky. Yeah, I really appreciate that. It's so important of, of you know, in my experience with, with my clients are the, the, every session is so, so different, even though it's the same modality, it's still so different. And sometimes it's like, you know, we just got to trust the process and go in a totally different direction than, um, you know, it's just so interesting how it is so specific. And, and I, what I love so much is, is the saying of like finding your own medicine. And I think that's really for me, the best way to capture that is like finding your own medicine. And, and, and something I wanted to go back to that you were talking about is, is picking up the pieces. And that's so, such interesting languaging, because that's something I do with my clients all the time is we will actually, you know, in the shamanic terms, we're going to call it like a soul retrieval in more of the psychological terms, we're going to call it like more, um, we're integrating a lot of parts all at once. And so there's all these parts that we're bringing back, you know, and, and for me, my personal experience with this is, is when I had a major trauma of, of losing my, uh, my engine captain that passed away, I energetically left a piece of myself in his house or like in that experience. And, and when I've heard the news, I dropped this piece of myself and, through meditation and journeying to like go back and put that back inside my body 
was life-changing. And, and I think every time I do this with a client, they feel like they say to me, I, I feel so much more whole because I've picked up the pieces. And so I just, I just want to get your take on this of like, really like how important is that to really pick up the pieces, not just from our fire career, but from our childhood. Oh, beautiful. And thank you again. I love what you said, you know, about the soul retrieval and recognizing that important work. And again, my heart goes out to you for that loss. But yeah, I would agree. And, you know, I too have, I think, done two shamanic journeys and never even knew what that meant. And just like you said, Thomas, and I'll use, you know, one of my earliest known traumas was when I was seven years old and it was, it was a horrific, horrific event. And I did, I lost a part of me there and I looking back completely disassociated. So in order to survive, you know, I had an out of body experience that was my survival. So I've had to go back and feel that I've had to go back and re-experience the event and re-experience all the trauma, all of the shock. But I will say, too, with all of these pieces I've been picking up, and that's what's so valuable about you and Anne, it can only be done in a safe environment with a person that you trust impeccably. And so it's only been with people that I trusted and I felt felt safe with that I've been able to do that. And I just recently had an experience come up that I didn't even remember when I was eight, I was sexually molested. And I didn't even remember that until the last two years. And then I'm going to just interject one small piece because I think this is profound. I was really fortunate Um, Last week, I attended a program called Save a Warrior, and it's specifically for first responders and military combat veterans that have a PTS or CPTS diagnosis. And we did, of course, internal family system, the parts, and going back and picking up more pieces. And I was with, there were 10 women, all of us veterans or first responders, and three facilitators, all peers. And I tell you what, I went back and picked up pieces that I had not picked up before. So in it in itself was like a shamanic journey. But the reason, again, I was able to do that is because I felt safe with the people I was with and I felt in a safe and secure environment. Um, And it's been profound, you know, being a sobbing, crying, shaking heap of mess on the floor, ball of, you know, snot on the floor, crying uncontrollably and shaking while people are there witnessing and just know where you're at is so healing. So I'm continuing to pick up those pieces. And what I love is, you know, that, that vision that they have, I think it's old Chinese you know, art where they have a piece of pottery or that's just broken and into a million different pieces and they bring the pieces back and they solder them with gold to make it into this exquisite piece of art. And, you know, that's kind of what I look at, picking up these different pieces. 
Oh, it's so beautiful. And and something, I guess I wanted to go just a tad bit deeper and, and um, please share as much as you want to. But for, for me and Anne in our modality, like we, I guess I don't want to speak for Anne here, but for me, I've always been a little bit um, hesitant about EMDR because I'm not so into like re-traumatizing the client, reliving events. In fact, our modality, you don't even have to tell us about the event. You don't even have to go into it and we still can release it. And what's so powerful is, is like you're talking about these these experiences, I think, are, are for me, releasing the emotion and the energy out of the event before we go into it. I think this is something so powerful and so different than traditional therapy. And, and I just wanted to get Anne's take on this and then allow her to ask you the next question. So the last couple of years, I had to quit coffee because coffee was like this liquid shot of anxiety for me like my heart would race I could focus intently but only for a couple hours and I would crash super hard and my sleep was so off I mean I would be wandering the universe until I don't know three in the morning before I finally got to sleep and then I had to get back out at a six or seven in the morning and I was groggy I was tired it just wasn't working for me it's not that I was mad at coffee I was just really disappointed and so I ended up quitting coffee and I've been searching for an alternative for a long time. And that's when I came across Mudwater. Mudwater is this amazing, amazing tea. It's got masala chai in it. It's got cacao, lion's mane, cordyceps, chaga, reishi, cinnamon, turmeric, and Himalayan sea salt. And what's so amazing is that you feel the same energy, that same burst that you get from coffee, but it sustains all day. There's no crash, there's no headache, there's no dehydration. It's just this beautiful experience. And so yeah, I'm gonna say it, fuck your coffee. You gotta switch over to mud water because mud water will change your life. There's immune boosting properties, helps you focus with the lion's mane. There's one seventh of the caffeine compared to coffee. And so there's no jitters, there's no anxiety. It's just this beautiful experience with beautiful plants. So fuck your coffee. So if you want to try out Mudwater, I want you to go to mountainmindtricks.com slash mudwater or go to the shop and click on the button. Again, that's mountainmindtricks.com slash mudwater. So one of my favorite things about the Mudwater company is that they donate a percentage of their profits to the MAPS Institute. It's an organization that develops medical, legal, and cultural context for people to benefit from the careful uses of psychedelics. So the you know, MDMA Psychedelic Assisted Therapy Phase 3 trials, this is MAPS. And that's so important because there's been some amazing breakthroughs in the research with veterans and PTSD and uh, depression and all sorts of amazing things that they're doing. It's so important to support this company. So I'll share just a real quick kind of example um, that actually happened to me recently was um, I'm always trying to learn. So I did another um, retreat as far as just like um, opening up like personal development with a lot of different modalities and something that we did. Um, I won't really go into the super specifics of it, but it was a portion where we did a regression that allowed us to go back into kind of one of those childhood traumas that was very emotional and traumatizing. And I think the problem was that we actually had to stick into those feelings and really get stuck in that trauma response. 
And the idea was to then recorrect the experience and have this beautiful, amazing correction. And it was there, but between the modalities that Thomas and I use, something called mental and emotional release, which is where you can describe this experience and understand how you feel about it without re-traumatizing, the thing that was surprising to me was why should we be using modalities where we have to traumatize the person to then recorrect the experience when there's something else that doesn't require any of those really negative feelings if you don't have to. And that was just very surprising for me. I still had success with the experience. I still got rid of a lot of the emotional baggage and the really gross negative beliefs around it, but it took a really uncomfortable experience to get there. And I think that's the big beauty of some of the stuff that we do is now that we are learning and trying these different things that we have found to be more successful, if we can solve a lot of the trauma or issues that we think are keeping us from doing the things that we want without keeping all the, what we call like the crud that's still stuck on the inside of your soul, we shouldn't have to. And we just need to keep an eye out for some of these newer things that we're learning that are very, very effective. Something that, something that I kind of wanted to get into. I, I love going deeper on some of these topics, but Becky, I really wanted to get your perspective because I want to learn more about this is what is trauma sensitive yoga and how do you hold that space for people and really use it? Ah, great question. And again, you know, thanks for you sharing, you know, part of your experience too. And so trauma sensitive yoga, um, in fact, it's actually pretty cool because I'm doing another training this weekend that's very specific. And so trauma sensitive yoga is, you know, a very intense yet very calming somatic practice using a lot of different poses and breath work that's specific to helping calm the nervous system, you know, take you from being in that sympathetic to that parasympathetic state. And also, you know, I'm just going to throw in the little tidbit about the polyvagal theory, you know, Stephen Porges and the vagus nerve, and there's so much wisdom there. So trauma-sensitive yoga really incorporates that polyvagal theory and also stimulating the vagus nerve. So two things. Number one, the practitioner in most cases has had to been through their own trauma journey so that they understand and know what it feels like and recognize, you know, what others are going through. My classes are always in person. I will not do them Zoom because I want to make sure that I can watch my participants eyeball to eyeball and notice any type of disassociation or um, traumatic, you know, um, traumatic sensations they're having, if they're having neurogenic tremors, just to assure them that they are safe. You know, you're in an environment where you have windows, you know, you have a locked door, um, nice neutral colors, but the, there's a process to the actual yoga flow. And like I said, too, I use not only yoga, but I incorporate a little bit of Tai Chi, wisdom, healing, Qigong. I do a little bit of tapping. Um, and then we do this beautiful warrior meditation included. And sometimes I will start um 
to where we just tune in specifically to the body. I'm teaching people to learn, to have the capacity to listen to their body's wisdom. This kind of ties into what you both were saying about there are so many things out there that will help people, so many modalities. Again, I am a somatic believer. And so we're teaching people how to stay in their bodies, how to feel the sensations, how to know where those sensations lie. You know, for example, you know, where do you feel anger in your body? Those kind of things. We do moves that specifically, like I said, stimulate the nerve, the uh, vagal nerve. And the other awesome thing I love about this practice is I incorporate a psoas release, the psoas muscle. And of course, I call the hips our junk closets. Going back to the body holding our memories, that the book, The Body Keeps the Score. Um, you know, the psoas for me and the hips are where we hold a lot of our junk. And so doing hip openers and doing um, movements that really open the psoas, stimulate the psoas, I do one phenomenal psoas release that is one of the most incredible release mechanisms, somatic release mechanisms for trauma. And then I always end it with a a yoga nidra to relax people. And then I'll finish with it like a 10 minute um, calming visualization. And there's a lot of other little tips, but what's so important about trauma sensitive yoga is the wording, making sure that your words matter that you don't say things that are traumatic. You don't say things that are going to trigger people. You don't do movements that are going to trigger people. You help people build their confidence, but the most important part is keeping them safe, secure, and recognizing when you know they've been activated or triggered and how to help keep them safe and in their bodies. Wow, Becky, this is so, so powerful because I think um, for me in my own healing journey, um, I tend to disassociate a lot. Like that was, that's been my crux, my affliction almost my entire life until recently of really understanding what I have been doing unconsciously. And, and I would say it's, it's this idea of coming back into the body is one of the most powerful things I have ever experienced in all of, all of the trainings or everything I've ever done with clients. It's like, we got to get back into the body because then we can start, like you said, feeling the pains, feeling where it's held up, feeling and, and releasing. And, and something I want to ask you is, um, I know if like, I would love to go to one of your retreats would be so amazing. Like I would have such a blast. And I think for me, there's this, um, for me, I'm a very visual person and, and like, I'll give you an example. Like if I'm getting acupuncture or a massage, like somebody can be giving a massage and tap into a knot. And for me, I'm going to have images coming up. I'm going to have all these like dream states come up and where I'm going to actually, um, for me, I'm going to gonna go into a trance almost, but I'm curious on like, do your, your um, people that come to the retreats, your clients, do they ever talk about how these images show up in certain parts of their bodies and how that helps them release that energy? 
Oh, boy, what a beautiful question. <clears throat> and I love what you said about, because massage is part of my medicine, too, with a safe massage therapist. And and yes, people that are willing and open, you know, I always leave opportunities at the end of my class. In fact, what's been really cool is I teach a class on Friday night that's just women. And what we've started doing is staying after class. There's like three women that stay after class and we have kind of a women's trauma support group. And that's what we talk about. They talk about, oh my gosh, this came up or that came up or I felt it here. What does that mean? And I think part of it is trying to, it goes back to that feeling safe. You guys know when you have post-traumatic stress, complex post-traumatic stress, the most important thing is feeling safe. And so, you know, if people feel safe, I provide that environment and I love when people share that because, you know, and this goes back to Wildland, we are not encouraged, nurtured, or taught to, to talk about these experiences and with our wildland firefighters and our folks, you bring any of this up and you are going to be shut down or told you're crazy or sensitive or woo-woo or whatever. And I love when people are willing and feel safe enough to open up because they need to talk about that. They need not to hold it in. So yeah, I do. I provide those opportunities for anyone who's willing to share Oh, that's that's amazing. I love that the story of of the women that stay stay after and really discuss the images and the things. And I think that that sharing circle or just being in support with each other, holding that space is so important. And like you're saying, I would love for the wildland fire community to start really incorporating these, like even sharing circles, you know, after an AAR, maybe there is a sharing circle of what what came up for you. And and I guess I wanted to um I I want to respect your time and we're probably gonna start wrapping up here soon, but one one something that came up um, that I want to ask you is really your experience and thoughts on, on SISM. And, and I've had a couple clients come to me saying, you know what, there's, we had this traumatic event and then SISM came and they just, they were encouraging us to re-traumatize, to really get into the fear, really like they said they actually stopped doing like what SISM recommended because it was so, it made everything so much worse and I, I don't know much about SISM. I don't understand it. I'm not a practitioner of that. I just wanted to, like, you've probably experienced SISM somewhere throughout your career. And I want to get your thoughts on it. Woo, again, boy, another hot topic. And I would say, you know, yes, I have. Um, I've been involved in several SISMs that I was a participant you know, or someone the SISM was for, and I've also been part of watching the SISM team. My take is this, and this is me just coming from me. I'm being very open and honest. I think SISM is a great attempt, but the problem I see with it is it follows a very structured medical model. And I think it's like you said, Thomas, and you said, Anne, that doesn't always work for trauma. Using that structured medical model does not work, especially when people are going through that shock and tr- that first shock. 
That's the last thing that they need. And I would say too, I know a lot of SISM folks that have huge hearts that really their intention is, is great, but being that it's part of the agency and agency led, they don't have any, they have sidebars. They have to stay within that box. The best SISM, and I'm not going to call it SISM, I'm going to call it stress debriefing or trauma debriefing I've ever had outside of the agency was with people who had been traumatized themselves. It was like the Save a Warrior I went to this last week. Most profound thing I have ever attended, and the reason was it was being led by peers who had been through trauma. They knew trauma and it was not using the standard medical model. And I'm going to end it by saying two things. In SISM, you're being told what to do, what to say. And you guys know when you've been traumatized, aside from feeling safe, you need to feel that you're being seen and you're being heard. I don't think SISM provides that. And that's just my take. Again, I know the SISM people mean well. Their intention is great, comes from the heart, but it's that standard, you know, fit in the box medical model that just does not work. Oh, thank you so much for that insight, Becky. And and I want to open it up to Anne to see if she had any questions for you. I just wanted to wrap it up and say, Becky, I sincerely appreciate you teaching me some new things today and letting me be in your presence to hold space and really connecting over some some hurt that we have been able to come past and really be optimistic about the healing that we can continue carrying forward. Mm-hmm. So thank you for being beautiful today. Oh, and thank you so much. Yeah, I, I want to second that, Becky, and just Thank you so much for your story, for your insight, for everything that you're doing. And and where can people find you? How can they go to a retreat that you're putting on? Like, what are some exciting things upcoming for you? Wow. Well, things are starting to really move forward. I am, you know, it's taken me six years of not being able to do anything. So I am working with a webmaster. Um, to get my website up and running. It will be called Body Sense LLC. We're hoping that's going to happen in January. Um, I'm hoping to have podcasts. I'm hoping to have like podcasts of my trauma, my trauma sensitive yoga, a blog, all kinds of stuff. So Body Sense LLC again in January. Um, you know, working with Melissa Moore, hopefully to partner with her to maybe do a retreat in uh, Puerto Vallarta here in spring, talking to a few other folks. And then also my book, my book's going to be my story, but also it's going to have tips and tools like I shared today. It's called Finding Common Chaos. And, you know, you and I are talking about that, Thomas. So hopefully that'll be something here in the next six months. And then, you know, people can always, always contact me. You know, I'm willing to give out my phone number. You're willing to share that in my email for now to help people. I, I'm just happy to do whatever I can to help people. Okay. That's so beautiful. And your contact information and 
and the website and all that stuff will be in the show notes for people listening to this. And uh, yeah, I think it's so exciting. Your the the modalities that you're talking about with the yoga, the uh, meditations, the tapping, um, really the qigong, the tai chi, like putting all these together in one retreat sounds so amazing. Like I, I just want to say thank you. It's so beautiful. And um, any last thoughts from for the listeners, any last thoughts um, coming up for you? I think two. Number one, I would say to anybody out there that is really, really struggling, please reach out and ask for help. Um, to anybody, to 911 Suicide Prevention Hotline, the first step to healing is admitting you need help and asking for it. I would say that first and foremost, you are not alone. We hear you. We see you. The second thing, I'm going to put a plug in for the Save a Warrior program. Um, profound. It was one of the most profound healing retreats I have ever been on. And they do um, accept nominations and applications from first responders. I was the first wildland firefighter. And so that for somebody that really needs help now of any program that I've been to, I've been to a lot, that was the best. Um, And I think, yeah, just ending it with, you know, I'm so appreciative, but please know you are not alone. You're not alone in this ask for help, let people help you, let people support you. Oh, that's such a beautiful message, Becky. And and, uh, any last thoughts from you, Anne? I just wanted to say thank you for the the opportunity to just share and be in good space and uh, that we have a lot of resources for anybody that's interested in connecting or just learning more. So go ahead and check out the show notes and be sure and keep up. Yeah, and that's what I'm so excited about this podcast because what we're doing is we're slowly building an inventory of practitioners, of retreats, of uh, so much learning and purpose and passion behind these guests that are coming on like you, Becky. And and I'm just so excited that eventually we're going to have a couple hundred episodes, a couple hundred practitioners that have come on the show to have different modalities. So the people listening, they can they can find their medicine. Like we were talking about earlier is finding their medicine. I think that's so powerful, so important. And, and I just want to say thank you to both and, and uh, we'll see you all in the next episode. Well, thank you to you both. I really commend you for doing this. Thank you for all the hard work you do. It was my pleasure and my honor. Beautiful. Thank you.